0: Thank you for joining us on the Sermon Podcast for Mars Hill Cumberland Presbyterian Church. We love being able to distribute our sermons in this format, but we would love it even more if you could join us in person at 5208 Crow Mountain Road in Russellville, Arkansas, or online at the Mars Hill Cumberland Presbyterian Church Facebook page. We have Sunday school classes at 9 a.m. with a worship service right after at 10 a.m. Let's now prepare our hearts to hear a message from God's Word. We're going to be in Joshua chapter 7, and we're going to read the entire chapter. Last week, we, we started a small sermon series. I say small, it's only going to be three weeks long, over uh, biblical integrity. Last week, we, we looked at Psalm 26, and we talked about the path of integrity. This morning, we're going to talk about the cost of losing your integrity from Joshua chapter 7 and Israel's defeat at Ai. And I think it was rather interesting that our Sunday school this morning... Sunday school lesson this morning was about temptation. It was about Israel's temptation in the wilderness. It was about Jesus' temptation in the wilderness. It was about the effects of sin and temptation on our lives. And so this lined up pretty good, I I think. And so if you have Joshua chapter 7, if you would stand, we'll read God's word together. Hear the word of the Lord. Yet the children of Israel violated their obligations with regard to the things dedicated for destruction. Achan son of Carmi, son of Zimri, son of Zerah from the tribe of Judah took from the things dedicated for destruction and the anger of the Lord burned against the children of Israel. Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai which is near Beth-Avon east of Bethel, and said to them go up and spy the land. So the men went up and spied on Ai and they returned to Joshua and said to him all the people need to go all the people need not go up. Let about two or 3,000 men go up and strike Ai, since they are so few, all the people need not weary themselves. So about 3,000 men went up from among the people there, but they fled, from, uh, they fled from before the men of Ai. The men of Ai struck down 36 men and pursued them from the gate of Cherubim. They struck them down on the mountainside, and the hearts of the people melted like water. And Joshua ripped his clothes, he and the Israelite elders fell on their faces to the ground in front of the Ark of the Lord until evening and threw dirt upon their heads. Joshua said, "O oh Lord God, why did you bring this people across the Jordan to give us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us? If only we had been, get, been content to dwell on the other side of Jordan? Oh my Lord, what should O th- oh my Lord, what should I say now that Israel has fled before its enemies?" The Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land may hear, Turn on us and cut off our name from the earth. What will you do for your great name? Then the Lord said to Joshua, Stand up. Why have you fallen on your face? Israel has sinned, and they have broken my covenant that I commanded them. They took from the things dedicated for destruction. They have stolen and acted deceitfully and put among their own possessions." Therefore, the children of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. They turn their backs to their enemies because they have become dedicated for destruction. I will not be with you anymore if you do not destroy the things dedicated for destruction in your midst. Get up, consecrate the people, and say, Consecrate yourselves for tomorrow. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Things dedicated for destruction are in your midst, O Israel. You are not able to stand before your enemies until you remove the things dedicated for destruction from your midst. In the morning you will be brought brought forward by tribes, and the tribe that the Lord selects by lot shall come forward by clans. The clan that the Lord selects by lot shall come forward by households, and the household that the Lord selects by lot shall come forward man by man. And he who has taken with the things dedicated for destruction shall be burned with fire, he and all who belong to him. For he broke the covenant of the Lord and has done a disgraceful action in Israel. So Joshua got up early in the morning and brought forward Israel by their tribes. The tribe of Judah was selected. He brought forward the clans of Judah and the clan of Zerahites was selected. He brought forward the clan of the Zerahites man by man and Zimri was selected. He brought forward the household of Zimri man by man and Achan son of Carmi, son of Zimri, son of Zerah from the tribe of Judah was selected. Then Joshua said to Achan, O my son, give glory to the Lord, the God of Israel, and give him praise. Tell me what you have done. Do not hold back anything from me. Achan answered Joshua and said, Indeed, I sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel. This is what I did. When I saw among the plundered goods a beautiful robe from Babylon, 200 shekels of silver, and a gold bar weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them, so I took them. They are hidden in the ground in my tent. The silver is underneath them. So Joshua sent messengers, and they ran to the tent. There it was all hidden in the ground with the silver underneath. They took it from the tent and brought it to Joshua, and all the children of Israel, they spread it out before the Lord. Then Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan son of Zerah, the silver, the robe, the gold bar, his sons, his daughters, his oxen, his donkeys, his sheep, his tent, and all he had, and brought them up to the valley of Achor. Then Joshua said, Why have you brought trouble on us? The Lord will trouble you today. So all Israel stoned him. They burned them with fire and stoned them with stones. Then they erected over him a large pile of stones, which is still there today. So the Lord turned from his burning anger. Therefore the name of the place, which is called the Valley of Achor to this this day. This ends the reading of God's word, the word of God for the people of God. You may be seated. Let's go to the Lord one more time in prayer. (coughs) Almighty and everlasting God, this is your word and we are your people. And today we come across a text that is challenging in many ways. Father, would you open up our hearts and minds to hear the word that you have for us. We ask you, God, to be with us as we study this story. Be with us as we study this text. We ask it all in your son's name. Amen we begin this passage with the word yet so we see that it's connected to the previous thought at the end of chapter six so if you look back up to the last verse of chapter six notice what it says it says in joshua six twenty-seven, it says so the lord was with joshua and he became famous throughout the land well what happened in chapter six to make him so famous It was the battle of Jericho. God told Joshua, he said, See, I have given you Jericho, its king, and the the mighty men of valor into your hand. And then God gave him specific instructions on how to take the city. He were to march around the city once, once for six days, then on the seventh day, march around it seven times while the priests blow the ram's horns and the trumpets. And then all Israel will shout a loud battle cry and the walls will fall down. And of course we all know that story, we heard it in Sunday school and the walls came tumbling down and then I remember sometimes, sometimes growing up Pentecostal we would do some weird stuff. We would have a Jericho march around the church, some people trying to get victory over sin in their lives. And so we, so we all know this story, we know how it works. God told Joshua and Israel to go out, walk around the walls and the walls were going to come tumbling down. And, and He also told them that when they get in there, they're not to leave a single thing standing. They're, they're meant to destroy the animals, kill all the men, women, and children, except Rahab and her family. And they're the only ones who are allowed to make it out alive, and they were instructed to bring the silver, the gold, and the bronze into the treasury of the Lord. Well, Joshua's intention is for them to go and do exactly what the Lord says, and when they're done, in Joshua 6.26, Joshua pronounces a curse. Joshua pronounces a curse on anybody who would even try to rebuild Jericho. He says at that time Joshua made them swear curse before the Lord will be the man who arises and rebuilds the city of Jericho. He will establish it at the cost of his firstborn and erect its gates at the cost of his youngest son. That's in Joshua 6.26. And so what this tells us is that there's a cost that comes with trying to build back things that God told you to tear down. There's a cost that comes with trying to resurrect things that God told you to put to death. That's why the Apostle Paul says in Galatians chapter 2 verse 18, for if I build again the things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. And in 1 Kings 16 34 there was a man named Hiel of Bethel. And we don't know anything about Hiel of Bethel except for him being mentioned in this one verse. But he found out that Joshua's curse was the real deal. If you look at 1 Kings 16, 30, 33 and 34, this is what it says. It says that Ahab made an Asherah. So he made a false god. Ahab did more to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger him than all the kings of Israel who were before him. And in his days, High of Bethel built Jericho. And he laid its foundations at the cost of Abiram, his firstborn. And he set up gates at the cost of his youngest son, Segub, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke by Joshua, the son of Nun. Now if you look at a map, you'll find that the place where Jericho was located was just inside the border of Israel's territory where Ahab had authority over. And history doesn't tell us this, but I can almost guarantee what happened was that Hael wanted to go and rebuild Jericho so that he could make a name for himself. But he knew that he would have to get permission from the king. So he went to King Ahab. And he asked permission to rebuild Jericho. And King Ahab pointed him toward the Asherah. Which was that false god where people would make child sacrifices. It was the demon god that would require a child sacrifice. And Ahab said, and Ahab pointed to that Asherah. And he looked at Hiel and he said, you want to rebuild Jericho? How much do you want it? How bad do you want it? And so Hiel laid the foundations of Jericho at the cost. Of his firstborn. And at the cost. Of his youngest son. Every sinful attitude and action. Has an unseen cost. Attached to it. My grandpa used to preach a sermon. Called the price tags of sin. And what he did. Every time he preached this sermon. He would go to Walmart. And get some of those price tags. You put on stuff at yard sales. And he preached through the life of David. About how David sinned with Bathsheba. And he. And he talked about all the terrible things that happened as a result of that sin. And every time he would, every, every time my grandpa would talk about something that happened as a result of that sin, he'd say, there's a price tag. There's a price tag. There's a price tag. Your sin is going to cost you something. What's it going to cost you if you walk away from the will of God? What's it going to cost you if you walk away from the standards of God? What's it going to cost you if you walk away from the word of God? So when we come back to Joshua, we find another man that ignored the warnings of God. And what we find out is that 36 men had to die before he ever came forward with the truth about what he did. Joshua 7.1 says that Achan took from the things dedicated for destruction and the anger of the Lord burned against the children of Israel. Mark that down. The anger of the Lord burned against the children of Israel. But here's the thing. Israel didn't have any idea that this had happened just yet. They had just come off a hard fought battle where they won and they've got a lot of momentum. On top of that, their enemy looks weak. In verse 3, when the spies come back to Joshua, they said, listen, there's no reason to send a whole troop up there. Just send two or 3,000 to take the land. They'll wipe out Ai. We'll take the land and still have time for lunch. And then the unexpected happened. They experienced a defeat That would cost 36 men their lives. And so first of all, I want us to look at this. We're going to have three points this morning. I want us to look at the soldiers who died. I want us to look at the saint who cried and the sinner who tried to hide. That's how we're going to break up the message this morning. So first, let's look at the soldiers who died in verses 4 and 5. So about 3,000 men went up from among the people there. They fled from before the men of Ai. And notice what verse 5 says. It says, The men of Ai struck down 36 men and pursued them from the gate of Shebarim. They struck them down on the mountainside and the hearts of the people melted like water. There's two things we need to see about the defeat of the soldiers. We need to notice where they died and we need to notice why they died. Notice that in verse 5, the Bible says that the men of Ai pursued those, those 36 men to the gate of Shabarim. Shibar, of Shabarim is a Hebrew word that means brokenness or breaches. So they were chased to a place in the city gate that had a break in it. There are times in each and every one of our lives where it's going to feel like we've been backed into a corner, where it feels like we've been chased into a place of brokenness. We've been chased into a place of brokenness and it's not even our fault. It's somebody else's sin that put us in that position. Those 36 men that died didn't fail to do what they were called to do. They left their homes, they put their armor on, they got their weapons ready, and they died because somebody else had the audacity to disobey God. And we're going to have times when we're broken because of somebody else's mess. And I could give you example after example of people who have been driven to the brink of despair and brokenness because of somebody else's sin, somebody else's irresponsibility, somebody else's disobedience has put them in that position. People, organizational entities, churches, and entire movements throughout history have at some point or another been put to death because of somebody else's sin. Pastors have left the ministry and never looked back because they've been hurt by the very churches that they labored for. Notice that these 36 men died in a place of brokenness because one man who wasn't even in the battle. The most painful wounds you're ever going to experience in life are going to be inflicted upon you because of the decisions and actions of people who are on the sidelines while you're in the battle. While well, these 36 men were getting slain in Shabarim by common animals, Achan was in his tent counting how much gold and silver he got out of Jericho, thinking no one's ever going to know. It was meant for destruction. They were just going to do away with it anyway. But let me tell you something God knew. God knew exactly what he did. And Achan wasn't going to get away with it because God had already promised in Deuteronomy 32-35, Vengeance is mine, thus saith the Lord. I will repay. And so we see the soldiers who died. Now let's let's look at the saint who cried. In Joshua chapter 7, verses 6 and 7. It says, Then Joshua ripped his clothes. He and the Israelite elders fell on their faces to the ground in front of the ark of the Lord until evening and threw dirt upon their heads. And Joshua said, O Lord God, why did you bring this people across the Jordan to give us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? If only we had been content to dwell on the other side of the Jordan. Notice something. We're going to look, first of all, at Joshua's composure. Notice the the composure of Joshua. He and all the elders of Israel are in a state of mourning. They're ripping their clothes. They're throwing ash and dirt on their heads. They're ready to throw in the towel. Now, if you're following along with this text and you read verses 6 and 7 and you think that might sound familiar, you'd be right. As a matter of fact, there was a time when Joshua heard someone else say the same things that he's saying here. If you go back and read Numbers 13 and 14, you'll find an incident where Joshua was a much younger man. And he, Caleb, and 11 other spies went into Canaan to search out the land and they saw giants. They saw men of great stature and they even brought back a cluster of grapes so big that it took two men to carry. And Joshua and Caleb said, Come on, Moses, let's go up and we'll take the land because God's given it to us. But notice what the people say. In Numbers chapter 14, verses 1 through 3, it's, it's, they said, "...and the whole assembly lifted up their voices and cried, and the people wept that night. And all the children of Israel grumbled against Moses and against Aaron and the whole assembly, and said to them, Oh, that we had died in the land of Egypt, or that we had died in this wilderness, and why has the Lord brought us to this land to fall by the sword, that our wives and our children should become prey? Is it not better?" for us to return to Egypt is it not better for us to return to Egypt it's the same question it's the same question and and Joshua says oh that we had been content Oh that we had been content to stay on the other side of Jordan in Numbers 14, the people wanted to go back to Egypt, but in Joshua 7, the people just wanted to go back on the other side of Jordan. Listen, there's always going to be a temptation to go back to where you came from. There's always going to be a temptation to go back to where God brought you from. You might think you might think to yourself, things were a lot easier before I got in church. Things were better before I started on this holiness way. But let me tell you something. God wants to tell us today, that if we'll hold on, He'll do Something for us for the sake of his glory. Man, y'all are quiet this morning. So we look we notice the composure of Joshua. Now notice the concern of Joshua in verses 8 and 9. Oh my Lord, what should I now say that Israel has fled before its enemies? The Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land may hear, turn on us, and cut off our name from the earth. What will you do? Notice this question. Notice this question that Joshua asked God. He says, what will you do for your great name? That's the concern of Joshua. Notice that Joshua's concern is for God's name. It's not for his own kingdom. It's not for his own fame. It's not for his own security. It's for God's name. It's for God's reputation. Back in Bible days, someone's name meant something. It was their identity. It was their reputation. It was their character. One of the things that's clear throughout the Scriptures from the Old Testament to the New is that God Himself is concerned with His name. We see in Exodus chapter 20 verse 7, one of the Ten Commandments is, You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will will not hold him guiltless who takes His name in vain. Notice in the famous psalm, Psalm 23, verse 3. David says, He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness. Why? For His name's sake. Notice in Ezekiel 36, 22, The prophet says, Thus says the Lord God, It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. At the beginning of the book of Romans, the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 1 verse 5 that it's through Jesus Christ that we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of the faith for the sake of His name among all the nations. God is so concerned about the reputation of His name that He will not allow allow us to fail in what He has called us to do. And that's precisely why Paul can say in Philippians 1.6, I am confident of this very thing, that He who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. And so we notice the composure of Joshua. We notice the concern of Joshua. Now look at the command given to Joshua in verses 10 through 12. Then the Lord Lord said to Joshua, stand up. Why have you fallen on your face? Israel has sinned and they have broken my covenant. They took from the things dedicated for destruction. They have stolen, acted deceitfully and put them among their own possessions. Therefore, the children of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. They turn their backs to their enemies because they have become dedicated for destruction. I will not be with you anymore if you do not destroy the things dedicated for destruction in your midst. So God tells Joshua the problem and gives him a clear path to the solution for the problem. Notice that in verse 11 God tells Joshua that Israel has things dedicated for destruction in their midst. And then notice in verse 12 that God says they themselves have become dedicated for destruction. God is saying that they've become just like the thing they're trying to hide. they become just like the thing they're trying to hide. Listen, if you hide your sin, instead of confessing it before God, then you're letting that sin rule your life. And pretty soon, that sin will define your life. Look for just a second, if you will, at the 115th Psalm. At the 115th Psalm, this is what what David says. This is what David says in Psalm 115, verses 1 through 8. He says, Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but unto your name, Give glory for the sake of your mercy and for the sake of your truth. Why should the nations say, where now is their God? But our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. Notice what verses 4 through 8 say. Their idols, he's talking about the idols of the nations, the, idol, the idols of the heathen nations. He says, their idols are of silver and gold, the work of men's hands. They have mouths, but cannot speak. Eyes, but they cannot see. They have ears, but they cannot hear. Noses, but they cannot smell. They have hands, but they cannot feel. Feet, but they cannot walk. Neither can they speak with their throat. Those, notice verse 8. Verse 8 kind of cinches all this together. Those who make them are like them. So is everyone who trusts in them. Psalm 115 says that those who make these idols... Are like them, and so is everyone who trusts in them. Second Corinthians chapter three, verse eighteen says that as we behold the glory of the Lord with unveiled faces, we are being transformed into that same image from glory to glory. So what does that mean? It means you better be careful what you revere, because that's what's good. that's what your life is going to be turned into, either for your ruin or for your redemption. I'll say that again. Be careful what you revere. Because your life is going to be turned into that very thing either for your ruin or for your redemption. Achan coveted those things which were dedicated for destruction. And in doing so, he dedicated himself for destruction. And so then God tells Joshua exactly what he is to do. He says in the morning you're going to have everybody come forward by tribe and then I'm going to select a tribe. And then you'll have every clan of that tribe come forward and I'm going to select a clan. And then you're going to have every household from that clan come forward. And then the man that I'm going to pick out is the one that did it. And he's the one who's going to die. And then verse 16 says Joshua got up early. Well, he got up early because he had work to do. I got up early this morning because I had work to do. And now we see the sinner who tried to hide. And the text says that he brought forward Israel by their tribe. And Achan has got to be thinking, you know, there's 12 tribes here. There's no way he's going to pick mine. Then his tribe gets called forward. And Achan thinks to himself, all right, that's a coincidence. There's several clans here in this tribe. The mathematical chance of him picking my clan is slim to none. And then his clan gets called. And little beads of sweat start forming on his brow. And he starts thinking, he, he thinks to himself, no, 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 this can't be happening. Surely he's going to pick somebody else's household. I can finally get away with this. And then finally, his daddy's household gets called. And then Joshua knew. Look back at verses 19 to 21 in Joshua 7. Notice what happens here. Then Joshua said to Achan, O my son, give glory to the Lord, the God of Israel, and give him praise. Tell me what you have done. Do not hold back anything from me. And Achan answered Joshua and said, Indeed, I sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel. This is what I did. When I saw among the plundered goods a beautiful robe from Babylon, 200 shekels of silver and a gold bar weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them, so I took them. They are hidden in the ground in my tent, and the silver is underneath them. Notice what happened. When he confessed it to Joshua, when he confessed to Joshua what he did, Achan said, I saw it, I coveted it, And I took it. That's how he did it. That simple progression of events is supposed to remind us of what happened in the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter 3. It was the best place on earth. The Garden of Eden was the best place on earth. Disneyland can say that they're the best place on earth all they want to. They don't have anything on the Garden of Eden. And God said, you can have anything you want, just don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And Genesis 3:6 says, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasing to the eyes, she took of its fruit and ate. She saw it. She coveted it. And she took it. <clears throat> this bottle's out, i got to get some more preaching juice. Listen, you may not see anything at Walmart that's so good that you covet it and take it without paying. But what about when you're home and nobody's watching you and something comes across your screen you know you shouldn't be looking at? You see it, you covet it, and you may not be able to physically take it, but you mentally take it, you emotionally take it, you spiritually take it. This is why Job said in Job chapter 31 verse 1, I made a covenant with my eyes. I made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at a young woman. And then James tells us in James 1, 14 and 15, he said each man is tempted when he is drawn away by his own lust and enticed. Then when lust is conceived, it brings forth sin. And when sin is finished, it brings forth death. By the way, that's another passage that was in our Sunday school lesson this morning. God might be trying to tell us something. What Job knew, what James knew, And what Achan found out is that when your eyes wander, your heart wanders. And when your heart wanders, soon your hands and feet go with it. And you wind up walking straight into your own death and destruction. Which brings us to what happens next. Notice chapter 7 verses 24 and 25. Then Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan, son of Zerah, the silver, the gold, the robe, the gold bar, his sons, his daughters, his oxen, his donkeys, his sheep, his tent, and all he had, and brought them up to the valley of Echor. Let, let me just stop there for just a second. Notice everything that Achan took. This isn't in my notes. You're going to get this one for free. Notice what Achan took. It said he took the silver, the gold, and there was a robe that he took. Why did he take those things? Why, what was it about those things that appealed to him? Obviously, gold and silver were something. What about the robe? What does it represent? According to Francis Shaper, who, who uh, was a, a, a theologian and a commentator in the 60s and 70s, um, Francis Schaeffer wrote a commentary on the book of Joshua. And when he got to this portion of the text, he was talking about the, the robe. He was talking about the gold and the silver. And he said, what this represents for Joshua is, is, a, is materialism. It reveals envy in Joshua's heart. He wanted the robe so that he could appear superior to his brother. He wanted the gold and silver so that he could claim wealth for himself. How many times do we want things simply to look better, simply to appear better, simply to be better? We want to feel superior We want to have something that no one else has. Listen, I don't know if I'm talking to anybody else but myself this morning, but but there is a temptation in all of us to be superior to the next man. We've got to be keeping up with the Joneses, no pun intended, because there's Joneses that go to church here. (laughs) We have got to be keeping up. With with the people that we feel like are more superior. We have got to have the money. We've got to have the car. We've got to have the house. We've got to have the vehicle. And all it does is it reveals something that's lacking in our souls. It reveals the fact that we are dissatisfied with the blessings that God has given to us already. Achan wasn't satisfied to simply be a part of his household. Achan wasn't satisfied to simply be a part of Israel. No, no, no. He had to be better. He had to look better. And it cost him. Your sin has a price tag attached to it. Notice verse 25. Then Joshua said, Why have you brought trouble on us? The Lord will trouble you today. So all Israel stoned him. They burned him with fire and stoned them with stones. And then they erected over him a large pile of stones, which is still there today. So the Lord turned from his burning anger. Therefore, the name of the place is called the Valley of Achor to this day. There's three things we need to take note of about these last few verses. Number one, we need to remember that hiding your idols will cause you to suffer the same fate as your idols. I'll say that again. Hiding your idols will cause you to suffer the same fate as your idols. Joshua, or I'm sorry, Achan, took of the things dedicated for destruction, and in doing so, he dedicated himself and his family to destruction. And that's exactly what they suffered. Number two, we need to address the fact that there is a temptation to believe that God is unjust and unmerciful for including Achan's family in this punishment when there's nothing in the text to indicate that they had anything to do with it. There's a temptation to believe that God is unmerciful and unjust. But what we need to understand is that God is keeping His word about His character from Exodus 34-7 when He says that by no means would He clear the guilty and that He would visit the iniquity of the fathers upon the children, even to the third and fourth generation. What we also have to understand is that while there is this temptation to believe that God is just being mean and vindictive, we quickly forget about the fact that just one chapter earlier, while everyone, is, while everyone in Jericho was being slaughtered and put to death at God's command, there was one woman. Who was a prostitute named Rahab that God set apart and placed her and her family outside the camp of Israel so that they and their lineage would continue? We're quick to see how mean, we're quick to think about how mean God is to Achan's family while forgetting how merciful he was to Rahab's family. We forget what God said to Moses in Exodus thirty three nineteen. 19. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. Which is why the Apostle Paul is able to conclude in Romans 9, 16 that it is not of him who wills or runs, but of God who has mercy. The third and final thing we need to notice is that Joshua 7 ends in the exact opposite way that it began. Notice that at the end of Joshua 7, verse 1, the text says that the anger of the Lord, the anger of the Lord, burned against the children of Israel. Now, if you go all the way to the end of verse twenty-six, after Achan and his family have been put to death, the text says the Lord turned from his burning anger. What happened was that there was sin in Israel's camp that kept them from having a good relationship with God, and the sin was dealt with by way of death. And when that death occurred, the wrath of God against Israel was satisfied, but only temporarily. what we need to understand is that the wrath of God still burns against sin today. John 3:36 tells us, he who believes in the Son has eternal life he who does not believe in the Son shall not see life but the wrath of God remains on him." Romans 1 chapter 1 verse 18 says that the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth through their unrighteousness. So let me ask you this. What's going to satisfy the wrath of God? And I don't mean a temporal satisfaction like Achan's death. I mean a permanent satisfaction. It's the death of God's Son. The Son isn't the one who sinned, but we are. But His sacrifice pays the debt that is accumulated against God because of our unrighteousness. Remember what the prophet Isaiah said in Isaiah chapter 53. He says, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. And notice what it says in verses 10 through 11 in Isaiah 53. Yet it pleased the Lord. It pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. If he made himself as an offering for sin, he shall see his offspring, and he shall prolong his days, and the good pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the anguish of his soul and be satisfied. Listen, Achan had to die for his sin. Achan had to die for his sin, but you don't have to die for yours. Jesus already died for your sin. Achan's death satisfied the wrath of God, but it only satisfied it temporarily. Jesus' death satisfied the wrath of God eternally. If you're living in sin, if you're living in sin, then your story begins with God's burning anger against your sin, like in Joshua chapter 7 verse 1. But if you trust in the atoning work of Christ's death, then your story will end with God turning from his burning anger and giving you the righteousness of his Son. Let's pray. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, this is your word and we are your people and I pray that you would use this word about the cost of losing our integrity to empower us, to bolden us, to strengthen us. I pray that you would instill faith in our hearts. I pray that you would deliver us from sinful practices and behavior. I pray that you would instill in us a desire for holiness. Lord, I commit myself to you. I commit these people to you. I commit this preached word to you. In the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this special message. We hope you were blessed and encouraged by the preaching and teaching of God's Word. Now, may the Lord bless you, keep you, make His face to shine upon you, and give you peace. Amen.